0: got really quiet in here, real quick, okay. Um, Well, good evening everybody. Um, If you're visiting with us, uh, we're continuing a class uh, tonight, the slides, um, called the Hall of Faith. So this is taken from Hebrews chapter 11. This is a chapter in which the Hebrew writer, uh, speaking to a group of Jewish Christians, uh, reminds them of these great examples of faith. All these individuals from Old Testament times, Jews who are mostly Jews, who exemplified what it means to trust in God, what it means to live by faith, uh, what faith looks like, what it sounds like, uh, defining faith in a way. And so we've been studying this like a Hall of Fame. In the same way you go through a Hall of Fame and you see these, you know, these statues and heads and sports and you see them and look at their career, we look at these individuals, we look at their stories and we say, what about their life says faith? And what can we learn from that? And so we started in Hebrews 11. And tonight we're looking at our fifth inductee, who is Jacob. Now, if you just start counting from the beginning of Hebrews 11, Jacob's not the fifth person mentioned. But I let uh, everyone in class have a vote on who they wanted to study. And we skipped a few. So we're at Jacob tonight. Uh, and we have a task in front of us, to be honest with you, because we're getting to the point in Hebrews 11, or we've been at the point where these people have 20-something chapters of their life story. It's like, hey, you got 40 minutes to cover 20 chapters. We cannot read most of all of this if we really want to try to apply some things for our life. So I'm going to hit the highlights a lot tonight. I'm not going to read the chapters or the verses for much of what we reference at the beginning, simply because we don't have the time. So I hope, A, this is familiar with you, or B, if it's not, that you'll go home and you'll read this in your own time and I'll tell you, I don't consider myself super knowledgeable in the Old Testament. It's probably one of my weakest areas as a student of the Bible. I don't remember all the stories that you got taught in Bible class. And so this has been a good study for me to go back and rehear the, these stories. So hopefully I remember them correctly as I've studied them. But uh, maybe this is good for you as it's been good for me to go back and hear these stories of people of faith. And so tonight we talk about Jacob. And if... Uh, we start in Hebrews 11 every week, and you could turn in your Bibles to Genesis. The, the verses will be on the screen. But just to read to you in Hebrews 11 and verse 21, where Jacob is mentioned, this is the one verse that mentions him. It says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. In this section about all the patriarchs, Jacob gets one verse, and there's really two parts of this that we're going to look at tonight ...about what we can learn about faith from Jacob. Uh, We'll hit the highlights first. Uh, When I say highlights, I don't mean like the best of the best of Jacob. I mean, here are the big moments in his life that we maybe need to know a little bit about to understand his story... ...but we can't read all of it together. So here is your, out of Mike Masalago's page of lists, here is my list for you tonight, okay? Bible Talk TV watchers would love this. First, he was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And we looked at that somewhat last week. If you remember, Abraham had Isaac. They were barren, but Lord blessed them in their old age with a child. Isaac and Rebekah, she was barren, and they waited for some time, and eventually they would have Jacob. But they had twins. Uh, Jacob was the younger twin of Esau. He was, came out, he came out the womb holding Esau's heel. Esau was the hairy brother. Jacob was the not so hairy brother. Uh, Esau was the hunter. The skilled hunter and the guy who worked in the field, Jacob was the one who was more quiet, it seems, and it says he worked in tents. They were different kind of boys, but they were twins. We looked at a story last week, if you were here, about this weird encounter where Esau, the older brother, comes in from the field. He's hungry, and he says, please give me some of that soup or whatever that meal that Jacob had. And Jacob says, I'll give it to you if you sell me your birthright. Your birthright was a double portion of your inheritance. What I mean by that is say if your parents had five children and they had a million dollars for an inheritance, uh, what they would do is they would divide it by six and the oldest the oldest son would have got uh, their inheritance plus one, like two shares, if that makes sense, of the six. So uh, he says, sell me that double portion of money. Also, that means let me be the leader of the family going forward. I'll be the one who takes care of the widows and the sisters and all this other stuff of what we own I'll be the one who's in the prominent position of the house. He says, give me that for a bowl of soup, essentially. And Esau says, sure. Don't know if he took him serious when he offered this or not, uh, but we talked about last week. Esau seemed to, be some, seemed to be somebody who really only thought of the present. He had no mind of the future. Whatever he wanted at the moment or whatever was temporary on his mind, he went after that. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us he was sexually immoral. He had some character flaws and issues. And there were a few reasons maybe why God wanted to go through the line of Jacob, but also God might have just wanted to go through the line of Jacob for another reason. But either way, he sells him the birthright, so that was an interesting story. But then next we see about Jacob, here's a highlight that's really more of a low light, is that he deceived his father Isaac to receive the blessing uh, that was given to him. There was that incident we looked at last week near the end of class, where Isaac, in his old age, he can barely see or really can't see. And he says, Esau, whom the Bible says he loved more, uh, he says, go into the field, kill some game, cook it. You know, I want a medium rare steak and a side of mashed potatoes. I, I don't know what the order was. But he says, go get a meal, bring it back to me, uh, and I will bless you. Despite the fact that God said the older will serve the younger, he says, do that, I will bless you. Rebecca was different from her husband in the fact that she loved Jacob more. And when she heard that, she immediately told Jacob, we need to do something about this. So she has Jacob dress up like Esau. Esau was hairy, so she puts goat hair on him, gets his clothes, puts it on so he smells like his brother, and they trick their fa- or his father into blessing him. And so he deceived his own father with his mother's help. said it last week, but if you feel like your family is ever dysfunctional in a way, Welcome to the club. It's been like that from really the very beginning of families. Uh, you're no exception. In fact, maybe you might read some of these stories and go, hey, we're pretty good. You know, our family's not so crazy after all, until Thanksgiving. Uh, then you go, never mind. Uh, but he's deceived. And so Jacob was the one who received uh, the blessing as the younger one. Esau, as you can imagine, was not very happy about that. He wanted to kill his brother. One thing we did not talk about last week, and I wish we had the time, but we don't. ...is that in Hebrews before this verse, when it talks about by faith Isaac, it says he blessed both of his boys. It wasn't simply the fact that he blessed Jacob with the promise. He did not bless Esau with the same blessing, but yet he still blessed him. And that was part of this idea of trusting that God would take care of both of his boys and bless them. And we didn't get to that. I wish we did. I just missed it. Um, But he blessed both of his sons... God would continue the promise that we've seen in multiple weeks now, the promise to Abraham, he would continue through Jacob. If you look at Genesis chapter 28, it's on the screen. This is a promise you've heard before, uh, starting at verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring back, and will bring, excuse me, you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I love that line. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Uh, We look at this passage. The the promise continued. This one that was given to Abraham, it was a promise of a people, you know, a nation of descendants that multiply as many as the dust of the earth or the stars of heaven. It was a promise of land, a place, the land of Canaan. And it was a promise of all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was a promise of the Messiah would come from their line. Uh, and so it was a multifaceted promise that has been passed down from father to father. They have not received these promises yet, but by faith they continue to pass it on. Um, there's more highlights. Jacob would be called Israel. A lot of guys in the Old Testament get a name change, and uh, Jacob was one of them. He starts getting this name at the next highlight when he wrestles with God. We won't look at that tonight, but in Genesis 32 he has a wrestling match. He goes one-on-one uh with God. He's called Israel. I think that name means to contend or contend with God. He ultimately made peace with Esau when they met. They hugged each other's neck. They wept bitterly. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of reconciliation between those two brothers. And then you're getting to some very interesting stories. Uh, one highlight about Jacob is that applies to us tonight is uh he was in the field, one of his kinsmen named Laban had a daughter named Rachel. And he looked at her and, man, he thought she was pretty. He was love drunk, head over heels. She was super attractive to him. And he wanted her. And he wanted her as a wife. So he made a deal with Laban. I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter as my wife. Can you imagine making that kind of deal with a guy today, uh, parents? Uh, Just Yeah, sure thing. Help me out for seven years. I'll give you my daughter. Uh, Different, Different culture. But he does that. And then the weird part of the story is he goes into the tent to consummate the marriage and it's not her. And I guess he didn't know it till afterwards or something along that nature, but it was her twin sister, or not twin, sorry, her older sister Leah. And the Bible says she was not as attractive as Rachel. Uh, She had softer eyes, I believe is the way they put it. It's, he saw Rachel and he was like, that's her. And he saw Leah and like, that's not her. Um, But Laban deceived him, which remember, How did Jacob receive his blessing? Through deception. Now he wants a wife and what happens to him? Deception. You ever heard that phrase, uh, you get what you give or maybe you reap what you, what you find, it's very interesting. Um, we don't always reap what we sow immediately or every single thing, but we reap what we sow in life. And what you find is Jacob goes through a lot of deception. And it's interesting because he was the one that deceived first to receive a blessing. But anyway, so he, he gets married to Leah. And then he says, fine, I'll work another seven years for you. How many of us fellows would have just quit right there? We would have said, I'm done with you. You're a crazy stepdad. Like I could not, I don't want to deal with you. But he loves Rachel so much that he works another seven years to then marry her. They would go on to have 12, or he would go on to have 12 sons with Rachel, Leah, and then each of their servants i'll I'll show you this if you can read that that small text but 12 boys uh, the ones with the l those are the sons that he had with leah leah while she might have not might have been not as attractive to him uh she could have children rachel seemed to struggle with that until she was older or later on in life the two that are have the r in parentheses those are the sons he had with rachel that's joseph and benjamin this is not the order of when they were born This is simply who they belong to because Joseph and Benjamin, I believe, are the youngest. Uh, Dan and Naphtali come from Bilhah. That was Rachel's servant. And then Gad and Asher come from Zilpah, which was Leah's servant. So he has 12 sons uh, with these women who become the 12 tribes of Israel, which, like we said, his name was changed from Jacob uh, to Israel. And then there's the other part of this story, another highlight that, once again, uh, Joseph is the next person. In Hebrews that we were going to look at if you didn't you might have voted not to so I'm not sure if we'll look at them next week but Jacob lost in a way his favorite son I don't know what it is about all these parents in the Old Testament but they seem to prefer one child over the other and if you do that you're not going to admit it but maybe you do I don't know uh, I don't I don't suggest it but he loved Joseph apparently more than his brothers. it was the child of his old age the Bible says in Genesis chapter uh, 37. Um, I believe it is. Yeah, Genesis 37 and verse 3. That was the child of his old age, so he loved Joseph more than his brothers. Also, it was the oldest child of the wife he originally wanted, of Rachel. Um, it was the first child he had with her, so he loves, uh, loves him more. And if you know Joseph's story, you know that uh, his brothers did not like him very much. One, their daddy gave him all the attention and seemed to like him more. Number two, he gave him this really nice coat ...that they didn't get. Joseph didn't help things because he seemed to be a tattletale. He told on his brothers in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 2. I don't know if you liked it when your uh, sibling snitched on you... ...but that was Joseph. Um, you also have in Genesis 37 where... ...they're already jealous and they don't seem to like him very much. And then he tells them, oh, by the way, I've had multiple dreams... ...where you're all going to be serving me. All my older brothers, you're going to serve me. So, um, if you were the older brother... I'm not saying you would have gone to the lengths that these brothers did, but maybe you can understand the annoyance with Joseph. But what they do is they say, we're going to kill him. And we'll stick him in this well and leave him there. And they decide, actually, no, we're going to sell him into slavery. They dip his coat in blood to make it look like an animal or something happened to him. And he goes off into Egypt as a slave. And Jacob believes he's lost his favorite boy for some amount of time. Joseph would have been around the age of 17 when this happened. And so you can imagine losing one of your children, maybe. Maybe you've experienced that, unfortunately. But imagine a 17-year-old boy that you love very deeply. And so he lives some time with that grief, that pain that doesn't go away. So he thinks he lost his favorite son. If you know the story, you know he would be reunited with him eventually. Uh, Joseph's life, we can't talk about it once again. I keep saying that, and then I go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Uh, But he the essential story of Joseph is, God finds a way to work in Joseph's life to bring about something good, even when things seem terribly bad. He's sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar has a wife that wants to sleep with him and tries over and over again. And Joseph does the right thing. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm a man of character. I'm a man of God. I'm holy. And she doesn't like that, so she frames him anyway. He suffers for doing the right thing. Um, He was in a no-win situation per se, but there was a right answer he had to give, and he gave it, but she framed him. So he's thrown in jail. But yet God brings about something good, because in there he would interpret two prisoners' dreams, which then Pharaoh would have a dream. And so they connect Joseph with Pharaoh, and he interprets the dreams, and eventually this man who was sold into slavery and disconnected from his family is now second in command to Pharaoh, who is the really the most powerful nation in, in the world at this time, I believe. So God brings about something good that ultimately helps his people and helps fulfill his promise in the long run. And this is, it's a very interesting story uh, to, to think about. Um, he would eventually reveal himself to his brothers. There was a famine in the land. They come to Egypt for aid. And uh, there's a lot to that. But eventually he would reveal himself to his brothers. He would bless them. And he would ask them to bring their father and all of them to Egypt to see him. And he would help them out. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, tonight. It said there, uh, we talk about the faith of Jacob. If you notice, there's two parts of this verse. And the first one we'll look at is this, that he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. That seems to be one emphasis of the Hebrew writer in terms of his faith. Uh, If you want to look at Genesis chapter 46, verse 19 and 20... If you want to see it in your Bible, it's on the screen as well. But Joseph had two boys that he had while he was in Egypt. It says in Genesis 46, verse 19 through 20, The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And we'll just that's the point right there. He had two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, oldest was Manasseh, younger was Ephraim. And in Genesis 48, if you flip just a chapter and a half or two chapters over, in verse 3 through 6, Jacob would claim these boys as his own. Remember, these are two grandsons he's never met. First of all, he has a son that he loves that he hasn't seen in years. Thinks he's dead. He's reunited. Imagine being reunited with your long lost son who was you thought was dead and then meeting grandchildren you didn't know you had at the time. You know, that's got to be an interesting meetup. That has to be overwhelming. And so he meets them. In verse 3 through 6, He says he blesses them and he would take them as his own. Uh, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine." They're mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he, sorry, actually we'll pause right there. If you look, he says, your sons shall be mine. doesn't mean he's taking them away from him, but what it's saying there is essentially he's adopting them as his own, and it means he is now putting them In the the lineage of his boys. I'm adopting them into the promise that God gave to my fathers and to me. And so this means they would receive a blessing too. When we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, we don't always call it the tribe of Joseph. Because his tribe was then split into two half tribes. The tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. Um, This means they would give... They would receive uh, the birthright. They would receive all of these things. He says, like Reuben and Simeon, the same way I would bless my other two sons with inheritance, I am going to bless your two sons now as well. That had to be an overwhelming blessing for Joseph to know, you've taken my own as your own. And now they're a part of this promise. That has nothing to do with the lineage of Jesus. Uh, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. So this is not. he's not doing this for Jesus' lineage. He's doing this to bless Joseph and his sons. Uh, But he adopts them as their own. You might say, why didn't it go to Reuben, the firstborn? Because who is the birthright supposed to go to? But you know, the normal thing has not been the normal thing now for like 30 chapters in Genesis. Have you noticed that? Isaac was supposed to give it to the firstborn and it goes to the younger one. And now here the younger one's going to give it to... He doesn't give it to Reuben or Simeon. He gives it to Joseph. And then... When it's time to give Joseph's sons their blessings he's not going to give it to the older one either it's like sometimes God does the things we don't expect and we wonder why well we see that a lot in the Bible um, Another reason why the oldest son might have not gotten it there's many reasons why one is that Reuben had did some things that weren't very good uh, he had taken he had slept with his father's concubine Bilhah, who had, he had children with that's Genesis thirty five twenty two Genesis 49, 3 and 4, and First Chronicles 5, 1. The two boys next in the lineage, they killed all the males of a city that a prince lived in who had treated his sister very poorly. There's a few things going on with the other boys, um, so maybe that's part of it. It might have also been the fact that this is the firstborn of my favorite wife. He's already in a prominent position, but he chooses to bless his sons. That, that's the point. He takes them and makes them their own. Um, so the normal thing might not happen, but yet he blesses these boys. And the funny thing is, in, in the covenant that God makes with Israel, the, the law of Moses, he makes a rule about who gets the blessing, maybe because all of these stories about the firstborn didn't get it, the firstborn didn't get it. And so it's almost like, a, hey, we got to quit letting this happen in the future, because people are going to start looking at that and having a bad precedent. Uh, anyway, that's in Deuteronomy. But he chooses the younger son Ephraim over Manasseh, but he blesses both boys. Just notice first, we talked about this last week, part of faith is passing on the blessings. There are promises, or the blessings, passing on the promises. God has made you and I promises in Christ. We should pass those promises on. He didn't even know he had grandchildren. When he sees them, he passes the promises on. And we should be doing that too. Uh, Notice how he does this. Kind of a a big read in Genesis 48, starting in verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Notice, he doesn't even know his own grandchildren. Uh, Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, that's Jacob, were dim with age, so that he could not see. That sounds a lot like Isaac, if you remember. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was first born. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, and my son. Not this way, my father, since the, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He, he, is, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from my hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. If you just pause there, part of Hebrews 11 says he, he blessed both of his sons. These boys he didn't have to bless, he chose to bless them. And he included them in the promise. And that's a part of his faith because he has not received these promises yet. He's, they still don't have the land. They still don't have a nation. They still don't have descendants as far as the stars or the dust of the earth. And yet he continues to pass these promises and he still believes in God and in these promises. He's still living by faith when he does this. And we've mentioned this two weeks in a row, but I guess part of the lesson for you and I is what are we passing on to our offspring? What are the messages we're sending to them? Uh, Not not Israelite, or someone from those descendants. Yeah. And neither
1: did uh, Jacob. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot. Right. He he married an Egyptian woman and had children. Joseph? Right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Well, I didn't really look at that. I I would imagine
0: it's an Egyptian, right? I think that's what it said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm wondering if he included them to make them part of the chosen people, hmm. because their mother is not of the chosen people. And isn't it, if you're, if you're Jewish, if you're an Israelite, it comes through your mother and not your
0: father? Is well, I think Jews did their genealogy through the father, um, typically. Um, now, even in the lineage of Jesus, you find some Gentile people. But it goes to the file, like uh, if you like Rahab and some others like that. Um, There are Gentiles in that lineage, but it does go through Israelites. So maybe that's part of the reason it didn't. Joseph wasn't in the lineage of Jesus, or or whatever you want to say. It was Judah instead. Um, I'll be honest, there were so many chapters here. I didn't look into a lot of details of some of this stuff, just to be frank with you. Um, But yeah, it appears he doesn't. He doesn't marry a uh, Hebrew woman uh, for sure. So. Um, I don't know if I answered a question or not there, but your thoughts are incorrect. So, um, but he blessed them. So I think part of it for you and I is what are we passing on to our kids? Like, you know, when our lives are over, um, do, is a trust passed on or at least presented to them and shown to them? Is it is it shown in our life? Is it what they will leave as a lasting image and impression of my parents or my father or my brother or whoever? They live by trust. They believe in these promises and they have now instowed that to me to then do the same. And that's part of it. But the part I really want to look at tonight and spend our time on is this. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So this is not my walking stick because I don't need one. Um, that was a joke. Uh, but this is Marty's and I stole it from his office. I know he's not here tonight. So, Marty, if you're watching, I'm borrowing. I won't break it. I promise. I uh, promise. But the picture you get over here is when dying, why would he be bowing over the head of his staff? Why do you use one of these? For the most part. To help you what? Support. So he's dying. Why is he dying? He's old. So this this idea you get is you have a man who's so old that he's leaning on this thing. And I'm not going to really lean on it because I don't want to break it because it's not mine. Because if you break it, you you buy. That's the whole point. So, And I think this is from Hawaii. At least the sticker said that. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Marty, once again. Um, but so he's bowing. You get this beautiful picture, I think right here, uh, of an older man. Um, you have a man here so unsteady on his feet that he needs a stick to hold himself up. Uh, he can't raise his hands in worship He would fall over if he did that. So holding on to a stick with both hands, he bows his head and worship. I I just think that's a beautiful picture of a man of faith. Um, You know, all these stories that were told of Jacob, not all of them are good, but you have deception and the wrestling and a pursuit of Rachel and a surprise of Leah. You have a loss of a son, raising of boys. You have a reunion with, with Joseph. And the thing that he mentions is that at the end of his life, he worshiped. That by faith he worshipped. And and there's this truth for you and I about this. One interesting thing, by the way, he worships. Look at Genesis 47, 8 and 9. When he meets Pharaoh for the first time, Pharaoh essentially says, hey, how old are you? Like, how old are you? What's your life like? And he says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. First of all, can you imagine saying I'm 130 and I'm not very old? Cuz that's what he's saying. I haven't lived that long at least compared to my my fathers. He says few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the excuse me, in the days of their sojourning. How does he describe his life there? What does it sound like to you? Positive or negative? You get a negative connotation from that, don't you? One, I haven't lived as long. Two, what else does he say about his life so far, the 130 years? What's been in it? It's been a lot of evil. There's been a lot of negative. Um, I think you kind of read into a bit, and it's like he's saying, um, look, I, my, my life hasn't really been like my father's before me. I haven't lived as long, and the days don't really equal up to their kind of days. And maybe it's just emotional Jacob at this moment. I think Jacob's kind of saying, I've lived through many tough days. You know, I've lived a hard life. You know, I've been deceived. I've been deceived for a wife. I've been deceived by my sons. I've lived thinking my son was dead. I've been sojourning all my life, going from place to place in this land as a shepherd. I'm living through a famine right now. I've dealt with many conflicts. And Jacob kind of sounds like a man with regrets. Maybe I've made some bad choices. Maybe I wish things went differently. I've lived through some tough times. I've gone through some things. My days have been short but evil. And that's what he says to Pharaoh. And he then lives 17 years in Egypt. In verse 27 and 28. It says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Um, 17 years later he has a different, or about 17 years later, he has a different tone about his life. At least it seems so. Because notice what he said to Joseph when he blessed him. We read it earlier. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, how long? Not in the good days of my life, but all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me, From all evil. Those evil days I told you about, the angel who's redeeming me from all evil, bless the boys. When he looks back at his life, at this moment, he sounds a little different from the guy who talked to Pharaoh about his life. Like, I don't know if you can picture this, but it's like at the end of his life he is resting on his staff as he meets his grandsons and he blesses them, and he looks back at all the years of his life and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I've had a lot of negative things happen. I've gone through some stuff, but as I look back at my life, God has been with me, and He's blessed me, and He has been there, and He has redeemed me, He's forgiven me, He's been with me through these situations. And at the end of His life, you get a picture of a man who's worshiping. Uh, He worshiped for the God, He worshiped God for the promises He made sure. He worshiped God for the forgiveness that God gave. He worshiped God for who God was and how God had helped Him in His life. And I think the point that we get from Hebrews 11 is this. Where there is faith, there is worship. If you live by faith or if you have faith, you know what else will be present in your life or my life? Worship. And I would probably say that if there's no worship, there might not be very much faith or any faith. Because worship from Hebrews 11 is simply a product of faith. It's something that's produced. If you trust in God, which means you trust that He exists, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, or verse 6 and 7, if you have confidence and assurance in Him and who He is, that He rewards those who seeks Him, if you take Him at His word, you're going to worship. You are going to give God honor and glory and gratitude and thanks and praise. And you're going to give that to Him if you have faith and you live by faith. Uh, Where there is faith, uh, there is worship. Uh, that's what faith does. It leads you to worship who God is and what he's done and what he's promised. It, It leads you to worship in your heart and life. And we see that in Jacob. And that's what God sees today. in people of faith is if worship is produced in their life. Let me ask you this question. Where might we see worship in the life of those who live by faith today? Where might we see worship in the life of those who live by faith today? Maybe you might say, what does that look like? and those who live by faith today? There's an open-ended question for you. That way you don't have to hear me talk the whole time.
2: You see faith in how people live.
0: Okay. okay.
2: I work with a gentleman. In Vietnam. He suffers from PTSD. I get sent to a situation where we're having to work nights together, just he and I. And one other person had know nothing about him. But yet I'm amazed by some of the things that I learned from him. And it was because of the life that he had lived. He was uh, uh, a member of the AA. He told me something one time. He said, it took what it took for me to be where I'm at. And and for some reason, everything he said took on a connotation that you need to pay attention to. And it's kind of like, I keep thinking about the same story as you've taught this class and everything that happened to Jacob and and, and, and how he responded to Pharaoh and 17 years later, and I keep thinking about it took what it took and now he's happy, but he wasn't. Well,
0: well and so, so you see this, to this, to this to with Joseph, Joseph too because when the brothers talk to Joseph, he says, what you know, we thought was happening for bad, God has used for good. And how it worked in his life. Uh, But yeah, you see faith in life. But I want you to think about worship for a second. What does that look like in the life of someone who lives by faith? I mean, I know we talk about faith leads you to trust and you live a certain type of lifestyle. But what about worship? Because not everything is worship. Right? Like not, not every single part of our life. We can our whole life live to glorify God. But not everything is necessarily praise and worship. But what does that look like in the life of someone who lives by faith? Okay, that's, a, that's an interesting one we don't think about, a, a joy that we have you know, even in difficult situations, like a joy for God or how he works or what he's doing in my life even when it's difficult. Um, I know I don't know if this is a difficult... Yeah. It's
1: talking and conversing with God as you're driving to work or when you're humming, the song that you're singing is, you know, Sing and Be Happy Today or, or something...
0: Okay, that's, that's one I wrote down. You know, I think we when we think about worship, we typically think about what? We assemble. Listen, living by faith, the, the, the fruit that's produced by assembling with the saints, I think that's a good application, right? If, if you live by faith, you're going to assemble with your other Christians. You're going to worship together. Okay, that absolutely. Um, that's a product of faith. You know, listening to God's word, fulfilling that. Meeting with each other and worshiping. Absolutely. Assembling in community and encouraging one another. But there's more to it than that. I think that's a great one. In the car, on the way to work, or on the way home, it might look like pouring your heart out to God in song. You ever pulled up to a stoplight and seen someone just singing really loud with the windows up, and you're like, I wonder what that sounds like. (laughs) It might look like that. It might you just be doing it softly. You know, Humming, but you're thinking about these words in your head and heart. It, it can be that. It can be prayer. I, I'll tell you, I when I struggle to pray, sometimes my my prayer life is best in a car. I'm, I'm pretty thankful for a 30 minute drive here because I get to pray. Um, sometimes that's you know it just in different places. Harold. Well,
2: for me, at my age, I need to give all my concentration to driving. I that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <fun>. that's good. <laughs> Every day, the way I start my day off, it's maybe an hour, an hour and a half praying. Wow. Because God is so grateful, it just, you cannot overlook it if if you feel it.
0: Yeah. I, I think it looks some simple things, too. It could be in a car ride, praying or singing, or I think it could be meditating on the will and word of God in a quiet moment. I don't mean meditating like the whole home thing. No, that's not what I mean. I mean just having God's uh, will and character and who He is in your mind, and just thinking about that for some time, and being in awe of who He is and giving him the honor and glory and respects He deserves. It's being thankful and telling him how thankful you are. I think it's that heart that bursts with thankfulness. You ever been somewhere that's just beautiful in the mountains on a river, you know, somewhere where it's snow just covers the land or you're looking out at creation? And you're in awe of what God has done. And maybe you tell him or you're just thinking about it in your head. There's, that's that's a part of worship. And what you see in Jacob's life is he he bows his head and he worships. And he tells God how you've been with me and be with them. But he worships in this moment. And that's a far cry from the other guy and what he said to Pharaoh. I'm not saying he's wrong in what he said to Pharaoh. Or that he wasn't living by faith there. It just sounds different, doesn't it? It's like the 17 years revitalized him or rejuvenated him in a way. Uh, He leans on his staff and he looks at his life. His life had both blessings and bruises, and yet he still praised God. Let me ask you this. Which one do you focus on more? The blessings or the bruises? It's easy to focus on the bruises, isn't it? We look back at life, we think about the hard times. Like for Jacob, it would have been easy to say, after all of these years, you know, 130 years, I think about losing my son, supposedly. I think about getting done wrong, done wrong by that, that guy, you know, with, with Rachel and Leah. I think about, you know, the, the dumb decision with what I did with Esau. I think about this and that. But, yeah, he looked back on his life at all of it, and he praised God. I think there's a message for you and I with that when it comes to faith, that we look at our life, everything that happens, and we see God as our shepherd. Because he's worked in our life through it all. He's been there for us. He's blessed us. um, Because he's produced something good within us if we've allowed him to. You know, Do we praise him no matter what's happened? When is it easiest to praise God? In the good. It's interesting how we tend to pray more in the bad. But it's easier to praise in the good. And for him, he looks back at life. And it's a good moment at this time. But he looks back at a whole life and he is... He's worshiping God. He's praising Him. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is Acts 17. When Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail, they've been beaten, they've been thrown in prison, and it's midnight, and do you know what they were doing? They were singing. I think as Christians, we have to become people who practice singing at midnight, if you get the imagery. We have to be people who learn to worship in the dark. Like, not just when life is good, but when there's suffering, and when there's heartache, and there's disappointment, and there's bitterness, and all of these other things. When things don't go our way, to say, even in a dark time, when things have happened to us, say, hey God, you're still there, you still are, you're still good. You're working. I don't always know how. I know you've made promises, and this, while things might be bad to me, doesn't mean your promises aren't true. I think what we learn from Jacob is that where there is faith, there is worship. And for you and I, just maybe something to think about our life is, is there worship being produced in our life? You know, we can check off the box of Sunday morning or Wednesday night, thanks for being here, or or Sunday evening, and that's good because that's that's needed and that's that's worshiping. But also just think about our life. Worship was not meant to be only at, uh, one hour a week or two hours a week or only with 100 or 200 other people. God's people can worship Him any day. Anytime, and He wants us to. Of course, we know the church assembling is what it is, but a, a person who lives by faith, worship comes far more often and naturally maybe than we tend to think. Uh, does that make sense to everybody? Do you see that that lesson in there? Any thoughts about that as we, we start to wrap up? Yes, Futi. Okay,
3: I'm a new Christian. Yes. You know, I've been like reading the Bible for the past three years. Yeah. And I can tell you what without faith was it's recently and it's now mm. it's a big difference because before i just go to church once a week and can't wait to get out and go have breakfast with my family i yeah. think i'm a good mother, I put everybody in church but i didn't have a relationship so now when i drink a glass of water i remember lazarus <coughs> not for one drop in hell when he was with uh, abraham And here I can drink as much water as I want. How awesome is that? So that is abundant, right? Yeah. Or taking a shower, take as long as you want. It's always water. You know, like now I'm grateful for everything, like breathing. Yeah. What if if you can't breathe? So I think that's a big difference. You start to worship because you think how awesome it is that He just blesses with like overflowing, really. Yeah. Yeah, Everything.
0: Uh, That's a. I love that perspective. Um, And that's cool to hear. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes we need to hear something like that to go, aren't we abundantly blessed in life? I mean, even with bruises, there is so many blessings. We have a God who takes care of us and watches over us and is our shepherd. And yeah, we have tough times, but yet there's always something to be thanking God for. And even just simply who God is deserves praise, even if we can't see the blessings in our own life. And so... He's a little different. We've seen a lot of different. Enoch walked with God. Abel um, offered and sacrificed to God. Here, uh, Jacob offered worship. And I think there's a message for you and I that in our life, bruises or blessings, In the good or bad, we worship. And so, uh, just think about your life and, and, and see if worship's being produced and then give God that glory, honor, praise, and thanks He deserves. I hope you got something out of that. I appreciate you being here. And uh, we will end there. So, thanks.